Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. We're making advanced horsemanship accessible, sharing down-to-earth training advice and practical exercises with horsemen dedicated to accomplishing their goals. Whether you're hitting the trails for fun, training a project horse at home, or refining maneuvers for reining or cowhorse competition, we'll help you take your horsemanship to the next level. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. My name is Jake Lundahl. I'm joined today by Amy Kegel, another member of our Lundahl Performance team. We wanted to provide some commentary on two different training scenarios, one of which has been brought up to us on social media, another one that is kind of relevant to our recent situation. And with a couple of horses that we've had in training, we can draw some parallels uh, with these these two subjects that we want to go into. So the first subject we want to break down more in depth We had a question from John on Facebook a while back who has a little quarter horse mare. She's bred for reining, and she tends to get real nervous and frazzled about any leg yielding or suppling exercises with spurs. Now, for context, at the time that he messaged us this, John had been riding this mare with spurs for about two weeks. So she's pretty green with it, and I'll get back to that later. But he essentially gave us an outline of the riding that he was doing and what he had been trying to correct some of these different issues. And the next day, before I actually had a chance to message him back and give him my opinion on what he was maybe doing wrong, he sent us another message saying the horse was a lot better. So it goes back to that old saying in horsemanship where um, somebody asks, well, did I do the right thing? And you reply, well, did it work? Yep. Okay. Well, then it was the right thing. So obviously whatever he did worked, but I wanted to take some time to give my thoughts still on something like that. In fact, I'm working with a horse right now. Uh, One of my horses in training particularly is a very highly sensitive sort of overreactive to pressure type of a cow horse. She's a young filly. She's prone to being very hypersensitive about pressure, especially with my my legs and with my spurs. And while that's always going to be something, that's always going to be an issue that you're maintaining, right? If you have a horse, whether it's raining, cow horse, it doesn't matter. If you have a horse that is hypersensitive, just as a matter of disposition. That's always going to be an area where you're going to be a little bit of a firefighter. You're always going to be kind of keeping that tendency at bay. It's kind of like the opposite end of the scale. If you have a horse that is super lazy, dull, cold-blooded, you're always having to maintain and, and try to create in that horse's mind instances where you're getting them moved out. You're freeing those feet up, freeing that mind up. You're doing a lot of loping on a loose rein galloping in some cases to try to blow the cobwebs out of the muffler and get those feet unstuck. That's your maintenance issue on that horse. That's what you're firefighting. On the opposite end, we've got a hypersensitive horse that is overreacting to pressure. And really what it boils down to, a horse like this is often on the side of being worried and fractious enough about pressure that they're getting worried and intimidated about the training process itself, and they're not able to just relax and understand the exercise And what you can very easily fall into is a trap where every day you're getting in a fight with a horse like this. So you have to be very strategic about the kinds of exercises you do and win throughout your ride. This is just my opinion, by the way, so that you can culture in the horse's mind kind of a habit of being more relaxed in general. And I'll I'll break down what I mean by that. So with a horse that is really hypersensitive, 
if they're green with spurs, you know, if it's within their first couple of weeks of being ridden with spurs, I'm not super worried about it, but I definitely make a mental note of it and put it on the poster board for later. You know, like I'm not going to be, especially when I introduce spurs, I will have already introduced the concept lessons of things like yield the hindquarters, bending, a lot of different leg yielding and suppling exercises before I actually put the spurs on. And I bring this up, it should be quite obvious, but I bring this up because I see a lot of people blow through that initial step. They don't lay any sort of a concept lesson in the horse's mind. They go right to wearing spurs and trying to soften them up radically when this horse has previously just been kind of ridden around in a hackamore or a snaffle bit. It's a green colt or a green filly. It doesn't have any foundation yet. And now all of a sudden you've radically stepped up the pressure and changed the rules on this horse. So obviously a sensitive horse is going to have a bit of a meltdown over that. That's pretty predictable, right? So you can set yourself up for success by being very methodical in the beginning stages and really committing to doing a lot of concept exercises without spurs. Now, a lot of people would, would come back and say, well, why would you work on things like bending where it's kind of an exercise where you need spurs, you need some extra reinforcement to soften that horse's rib cage, right? So why would you do a concept lesson in the first place? And again, even if the horse isn't doing the exercise well, you want to at least have them doing some kind of a facsimile of it as a concept lesson. You're going to refine it when you put the spurs on, of course. But again, Rome wasn't built in a day. We need to find a starting point and build from there and build the horse's confidence with it. And when you're dealing with a highly sensitive horse, that's really what you're after. You want to build their confidence about the training process itself. You don't really want to be so demanding of how soft and supple and maneuverable and submissive and yielding off your leg that they are. You want to gradually scale those things up, but you want to start it at a very low intensity, low intimidation level and build up from there. But once you've taught the concepts of these things and you've gone ahead and introduced spurs, one extra step that Luke and I will sometimes throw in is actually putting duct tape on the rowels of your spurs. Depending on the sensitivity level of the horse, this might be an unnecessary step. In fact, a lot of horses we train are so dull and lazy that we can't wait to get the spurs on so we can actually get something done, right? But if the horse is highly sensitive and overreactive, it might be useful to dull your spurs up with a little bit of tape and continue doing the bending exercises, yielding the hindquarters, jogging circles, any kind of suppling, especially off your legs, any kind of leg yielding. Do that for several days with the duller spurs, just so that there's an intermediate step between your bare heels and the rowel touching their sides directly. However, even with that, a lot of horses are going to be frazzled and sensitive enough that it's not going to make that big of an impression, right? You can go through all those steps. You can be super nice to them. But as John was kind of alluding to, the moment you increase your expectations of softness or uh, getting off your leg in a particular exercise and you start actually using those spurs, that horse is prone to just losing their marbles. Up the intensity of the pressure one little bit and everything just falls apart. And in that case, you kind of have to employ a little bit of long-term strategy in how you structure your rides day in and day out, okay? And it all has the goal in mind of, yes, we want to expose this horse to pressure, but we want to do it strategically and just in general get this horse accepting of being trained on. 
right? Because a horse like this is fractious and worried enough that any escalation of pressure, even if it's in response to their overreaction, they're immediately going to think they're in trouble, right? And they're just going to panic more, freak out more, and it's a self-perpetuating loop. So where I like to start off, just in general with my rides, is I want to create situations where I'm doing exercises that are going to relax, but also kind of expose that horse a little bit, prepare him for the pressure that's coming in the very start of the ride. But I want to make that very low key. Then I'll get a lot of the heavy lifting, loping exercises, things like that done in the middle. And obviously I'm going to gauge, depending on the horse's energy level and disposition, what they need, etc., etc. We'll get into that. But then I also want to have a very big focus on the end of the ride and how that horse finishes up because I want to create, as we talked about incessantly in a lot of previous podcasts, it's about creating mental habits, mental patterns in how this horse accepts the training in general, not necessarily how well they're doing in one particular exercise. So I'll give an example, like when I would start a ride off with a highly sensitive overreactive horse, I'll do a lot of bending. Uh, a lot of counter bending at the walk, bending at the walk, obviously, uh, turning on the foot really slow. The reason why is because I can corral that horse a little bit. I've, I'm softening her face laterally around toward my toe. I've got her in a little bit of a bind and I'm putting a little bit of pressure on her, but she can't really go anywhere. And I'm able to keep her in there and stay again until the horse relaxes. And that's true across the board for every exercise. Any bending, any counterbending, any serpentines, any turning on the foot that I do, any leg yielding whatsoever at the walk, at the start of this ride especially, I'm going to be looking for that horse to relax and I'm going to prioritize relaxation and acceptance of pressure even over them yielding to my leg or getting 100% soft. Any tendencies of laziness or being a little bit dull or just being so relaxed that they're kind of not paying attention at different times, you want to encourage those types of impulses in a horse like this. Now, with your standard fat, lazy ranch gelding, you would never want to encourage those types of habits. We're always trying to light a fire under those types of horses' tails and get them moving out, right? But a horse like this, you want to encourage that. So any sign of laziness, any sign of them being a little bit dull or not quite as sensitive to your leg, you're always going to release to that. And you're going to be more worried about releasing the pressure, like say you're you're bending the horse around at the walk. I'm going to stay in that bending at the walk exercise until not just I feel the horse soften. Often they'll soften immediately, but they're nervous about it, right? So I'll stay in there long enough until that horse mentally settles and I actually feel them relax and chill out a little bit. So I do a lot of warm-up, and I'm very methodical that way at the walk with a horse like this. When I move up to the jog, never underestimate, I've heard this many times before and it's true, never underestimate the power of jogging a lot of circles nice and soft. And in fact, Luke and I do what we call our serpentine exercise. Now, what most people think of as a serpentine is like going crossways, horizontal across the arena and making big loops with straight lines in between, right? What I'm thinking of as serpentines is you jog, 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 tight little circles, say to the left. So you're jogging like a 10 foot circle around to the left, softening the horse up when the horse relaxes. You immediately leave that circle and instantly rejoin your next one. 
and jog, jog, jog around to the right. Soften that horse up, nice tight circle to the right. So the combination of jogging tight circles, encouraging the horse to relax and, and be self-propelled within the circle, have some integrity in how they're carrying themselves, be soft and be relaxed about being on the circle itself, right? So you stay in there until you feel that relaxation. Then you immediately change directions and rejoin the opposite circle. And in that transition, you will often root out a lot of stiffness, a lot of braciness, a lot of fractious, frazzled type behavior of the horse being taken a hold of and trained on in that moment. Because you're jog, 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 jogging, tight little circles, say to the left, you go to immediately take them onto the opposite circle as well as change shape in that exact moment. Okay, and so that will often bring out a lot of resistance right in there. But I'll often do little jogging uh, serpentines. I'll spend a lot of my warm-up, in fact, doing serpentine exercises, a little bit of moving the shoulders around, a little bit counterbending at the jog. Again, my emphasis is on softness, quietness. If that horse shows me any kind of laziness whatsoever, even if they go to break gait, like if I'm doing a little counterbending at the jog, Say I've got the horse shaped right and I'm making a little left circle and that horse starts to get a little bit lazy, starts to break down. I'm not going to punish her at all, right? I'll just kind of gently encourage her to bring, you know, pick herself back up into the jog and continue working. But I'm not going to bite her head off because she broke gait. And that's that goes into your loping as well. You want to do a lot of things like loping and steering exercises, a lot of transitions exercises the kind of behavior that you're trying to culture and trying to farm within those exercises, especially the transitions, is again, relaxation and a tendency toward laziness. So if that horse will occasionally, and it's weird, on very hypersensitive aware horses, it's often very weird how even certain areas of the arena, they'll be more sensitive and aware in and in others they they feel more relaxed right so a lot of times i'll identify like a certain quarter of the arena or a, or a certain corner is is where that horse gets more nervous and it could be something as simple as that's where the drag is parked or it's next to something that they don't like right and they want to race through there so i'll often time it so that i'm either doing serpentines in that area and getting them nice and relaxed or I'm doing like a bending transition or a bend and draw transition down into a nice, supple, relaxed walk or a jog in that area that they don't like. And, and having a lot of rest. That's, that's another key that I've picked up, um, especially in the performance horse side of things, is you cannot underestimate, especially in between loping sections, but even in between these kind of little warm-up exercises, your horse, especially hypersensitive ones, will really benefit from A, walking out on a loose rein and just being left alone, right? Because a hypersensitive, anxious, nervous, angsty, fractious horse is kind of like a neurotic, nervous, anxious person. They just, they're just a hot mess that needs to be left alone. Let them sort themselves out, okay? You getting in there and trying to fix all their problems is just going to inflame the situation more. They just need to chill out and be left alone. So a lot of times I'll get through to an, through an exercise and it might be something as simple as bend and draw transitions that I've done for 10 to 15 minutes at the jog, you know, and then I'll go let the horse walk out on a loose rein, be real nice to him. I won't even pet on him oftentimes. I'll just leave him completely alone and either let him walk out or simply stand still and be left alone for five to 10 minutes. Let him catch their air. Let him just have some soaking time. 
and don't mess with them. Don't be petting on them. Don't be flexing them. Don't be backing them up. Don't be doing anything. Just leave them be. You see a lot of performance horse trainers and they, they hire lopers and people as well to do this is just walk endless amounts of circles or straight lines up and down the arena on horses that are either getting warmed up or have just been worked and they're now cooling them down, right? Because you're cooling them down physically, but you're also cooling that horse down mentally. So, you know, you see these guys a lot of times if they're on a horse by themselves, they'll either be sitting there or they'll be walking around on loose rein on their phone, chatting with their buddies, whatever. And it may seem like they're wasting time, but it's really a, it's, it's really a strategic decision of, you know, in that moment, that horse needs to simply chill out and be left alone. And that is the perfect time if you're riding to be on your phone or, you know, I mean, obviously don't get off the horse, but just chill out and allow the horse to kind of mentally de-escalate things as well. So we talked about warming the horse up nice and soft and being methodical there. We talked about especially doing a lot of transitions exercises at the lope and making that not intimidating, right? And encouraging any sort of relaxation and laziness that the horse gives you, having strategic rest periods, as well as periods where for five to 10 minutes at a time, you just let that horse walk out on the loose rein, especially after an intensive loping session, that kind of walking out on the loose rein, just kind of letting them mentally simmer back down can be super valuable. And then at the end of the ride, doing the same thing, but also going back and retouching on your bending at the walk, maybe a little bit of counter bending and shaping at the walk, things that are very low intensity, but what? Put the horse in a bind, you're using leg pressure, you're creating shape with your hands and legs. Again, you're exposing that horse to the pressure that they don't like, but you're doing it in a very relaxed and controlled way. So again, we're creating mental habits of that horse not being intimidated about the training process itself, or the fact that they're being put in a bind, or the fact that they're being exposed to bit and spur and rein and leg pressure. We're getting that horse mentally able to handle a level of training to where we can now teach maneuvers and be effective as riders, and the horse isn't getting completely intimidated about it. You know, like within the turnaround or the spin, for example, you go to kick on them, ask them for a little bit more speed, a little bit more effort, and they don't immediately just mentally shatter. They understand that that means, okay, within this spin here, I need to be firing a little bit faster. I need to put some more effort in. You know, if you go, or if you go to shape them forward and around outside of the turn, they're not getting all wound up and prancing around and, and being resistant and trying to escape. They understand that, okay, I need to bring my rib cage in the line. I need to get my hip where it needs to be so I can be balanced, right? They're not thinking all the time of how can they escape the training situation. Because horses like this, they deep down, most of them, they want to be good. They want to please. They don't want to be in trouble. But we need to show them how to handle pressure, right? Now, <laughs> the reason I brought Amy on board for this exercise is to talk about the opposite end of the scale. Let's, let's talk about some horses, especially particularly bad-minded ones, um, that are the opposite of what I would call sensitive, the opposite of what I would call wanting to please. Um, and there's a couple horses, one in particular that you actually have had in training right now for the past, uh, eight to 10 weeks here. And one of his primary issues, and th this is what I really wanted to talk about today. His, one of his biggest issues, especially under, under saddle is shoulder control, whether that's steering 
or trying even a semblance of a turnaround, he will not give his shoulder. He will not yield that front end. We talk, we talk a lot about how horses are, you know, one of the biggest areas that they're pushy and resistant is that front end. This horse definitely falls into that category on the ground and under saddle. Um, and he's also mentally just not the most willing to please either. This is a training horse that, um, well, I'll let Amy elaborate a little bit on what the experience with him has been. Right. So this horse came in with very little foundation in general, basically none, and anything that had been attempted had not been very successful. So under saddle, um, I know you kind of wanted to talk about shoulder control, but in, in the very early, you know, the first week or two of riding, it became very apparent that even just a basic steering wheel was going to be a challenge for this horse. You know, even just the ability to guide around, he was uh, just contrary about everything. A better-minded horse, you know, they're kind of predictable with where they're going to want to draw to, where their magnets in the arena are going to be. Um, you know, usually it's where they're tied up, where they are rested the gate, things like that. Um, so very from the very beginning with any sort of guiding exercises, he would just be uh, contrary beyond that. You know, if you wanted to work on uh, softening to the right or some guiding to the right, it, it didn't matter where that was in the arena. He wasn't really drawing anywhere in particular. He just didn't want to be where you wanted him to be. So that became apparent pretty early on, those tendencies in him, just to kind of be bad-minded and contrary there. So we uh, were able to establish some sort of steering wheel and get kind of some basics done because we needed, we needed some basic handle on him before we could even think about trying more isolated shoulder control. And when you say basic steering wheel, you're talking things like one rein stops, basic gas pedal and brake, some confused loping and steering, post and circle, circling cones, trees, things like that. Um, so definitely still at a foundational stage, but as you put it, contrary, I think that's the perfect word because he would actively seek to lean away from or run away from the direction that you wanted to take him. Didn't matter what area of the arena or where you were at, if you steered him right, he would be actively leaning left and vice versa. He would always be thinking of how to escape wherever you wanted to put him. Yes, and escape is a good way to put it because this horse is definitely not on the hot, nervous, or sensitive side of the spectrum. He wants to be very dull and very lazy, but to the point of escaping pressure that's his kind of go-to. Rather than trying to think his way through it or figure out the answer, he'd rather just find a way to get out of it, to escape it, to avoid it. Trying to find a starting point with him was difficult in the beginning because we recognize these tendencies in him, yet such a foundational core of our program is forward motion. Get a horse moved out under saddle. Get some control of their feet, right? Get their feet unstuck. And he would often, in the first, I would say the first couple of weeks, his main tactic was lean, pull on you, resist, set himself against you in any way that he could, both on the ground and under saddle. I remember, particularly on the ground, how hard he would pull and try to drag you across the arena during the lunging exercises. Riding, it was the same kind of a deal. But then he got to a point where we were putting enough pressure on him to try to motivate his feet and get him broke loose and moving out 
that he actually kind of over-indexed on the forward motion. Mm -hmm. And he started thinking that the answer, rather than simply sulling up and setting himself against you and, you know, turning his rib cage into some armor plating and just absorb whatever you brought, he started trying to use the tactic of running away, being squirty, trying to dart out from underneath of you and just trying to duck and dive and lean away from pressure and escape that way. So things like bending transitions, bend and draw, um, things like that became ways to kind of capture his face a little bit, encourage him to submit to that bind and find the answer there rather than trying to escape all the time. And again, get comfortable with being trained on. This is the exact opposite of the horse that we opened the episode with, but it's fundamentally kind of the same issue. Neither of these horses, whether they're the super fractious, hot, crazy one, or the dull, resentful one like this horse is, they both want the same thing, to escape the training scenario. And you have to find a way to get them to relax and accept it. In this horse's case, though, that's difficult because you're constantly having to either use your legs or a spanker of some sort to continue getting forward motion into the system because he's so sticky. But at the same time, you go to take him anywhere and he's actively resentful about it. Let's talk about specifically with this front end issue, because in the latter stages of your riding in like the past four or five weeks, that has been the one of the biggest issues that has come out, right? We kind of went through that stage where he was super sold up and wouldn't move out. And then we went to the other side where he was squirty and, you know, trying to actively run away from things. That was his answer then. Well, that didn't work because we would just throw transitions in his way and capture his face and get him to accept that bind. So now he's kind of been semi-resentful uh, in, in terms of being taken a hold of and steered and maneuvered around. And that has really come out in the front end, particularly. So let's get into a little bit of when we started identifying this problem, uh, some of the things that we did to to combat that issue. So we had got him moved out. We had established that. Then the next thing he wanted to throw at us was, you know, say I go to steer him left in doing a post and circle type exercise. He just wants to bash everything to the right. Um, doesn't matter what's in his way, whether that's your hand, your leg. He just wants to bash everything to the right. So when you say that we had to end up um, capturing his face more, that what that looked like practically was using more outside rain and just kind of holding and waiting there kicking on him really hard kind of getting in his business a lot more that was almost kind of counterproductive in most cases with this horse because he was mentally incapable of thinking through why we were kicking on him why we were increasing that pressure um, and and it turned into a fight that would just escalate there but he couldn't think past the pressure or the fight itself. So that didn't work. He's he's a bit of a slow kid in that area mentally. So when Jake was talking about capturing his face, what it what it looked like was taking him into that post and circle turn was literally kind of just setting up some barriers there and some walls with your hands and your legs and just holding and letting him flounder around, kerfuffle, you know, pitch his little hissy fit, throw a sucker in the dirt until he kind of finds it. So in regards to his shoulders, um, 
generally when we're doing a post and circle type exercise, we want them, you know, going forward and around. With him, we wanted to encourage any sort of connect your nose to your feet, almost to the point of it feeling like he's diving his shoulders in, because that's the exact opposite of what he wanted to do, which was just have his his shoulders, his rib cage, just everything escape the opposite way of of where you're tipping his nose. So we need to needed to encourage just a follow your noseness in him. And so that was capturing him there and just staying there as long as that took until he would just kind of flop his front end over because that's kind of all he was capable and that was capable of. And that was our starting point. So we did a ton of that at the trot just to get a starting point. And then what we did was we modified a loping and steering exercise using those same philosophies and that same approach with him. Right. There's an exercise called confused loping where you essentially lope the horse on a loose rein across the arena and in response to where they lean, like let's say they start leaning left, it doesn't matter what lead they're on, you pick up on the right rein, steer 90 degrees, and when the horse's feet are on that new track, 90 degrees perpendicular to the direction you were loping, you drop the rein and let them continue loping on. And you can do that in an arena or where it's really great is out in a big field where you have a ton of room to maneuver. What we did was we took that exercise and we modified it to where, yes, you're going to pick up and steer a particular direction depending on where that horse is leaning, but you're going to, again, like we talked about, create barriers with your hands and legs to where you're not actively bumping or jerking or kicking. You're just kind of there. You're there. You're laying that outside rein and kind of blocking that shoulder, encouraging it to come across. Your outside leg is just kind of there, but you're not really actively kicking or bumping. Your inside rein is just there. You've picked up on that nose. You've established contact. You're maintaining contact, and you're not setting your hands solid. You've got a little bit of life in your hands and some sponginess, but you're not bumping or jerking either. You're just kind of there. You're just holding, 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 waiting, waiting, waiting. That horse is floundering, floundering, floundering. And then when they finally, when you feel that shoulder actually yield and come the direction you were intending, and even like Amy said, even if he would dive his shoulder in, which is typically something we don't want to encourage, but in his case, we'll take it because it's the diametric opposite of what he was doing before, which is actively leaning and running away from the direction we were trying to take him. And so you would hold, 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 wait, wait, wait. And you might wait for like five, six circles continuing around. You've still got pressure with your reins. You're still using indirect rein and inside rein. You're still kind of waiting there on him with your legs and holding and maintaining that bind or those barriers you've created till he finally finds the answer and brings that shoulder over just a little bit. Then you release, drop the rein, let him lope out. And that mentality, while this doesn't exactly map to what you do with a super fractious horse, it's similar in the sense that we don't ever want to get in a habit of jerking or kicking on a horse like this. We, we're more about the mentality of corralling them, capturing their face, establishing some barriers with our hands and legs, but encouraging them to find the answer. Because as Amy pointed out, you can very easily get into a fight with this kind of lazy, resentful horse. And you can also create a big fight with a fractious, hot, nervous horse. The end result will look different, but it's the same root problem, which is you're in there kicking on him, encouraging a fight, and they're mentally, the horse, is not able to see past the fight, right? They're either super worried and scramble-brained, 
Or in this horse's case, they're just slow and kind of dumb and don't realize, hey, the, the reason she's getting after me and intensifying the pressure is because I'm not doing X, Y, and Z. You know, rather than thinking down that stretch, they'll just think about the fact that they're in a fight and now how do I escape it, right? And so what you, that's, that's why I'm saying, you know, especially when it comes to their face, rather than bumping or jerking, no matter how stiff they are, maintaining contact, having a little life in your hands, but also kind of waiting on them. Um, almost using steady pressure rather than driving pressure, no matter how bad they're leaning on your hands. At least in this horse's case, in this context and in this snapshot in time, that is what worked for him. So another tactic that we used with this particular horse was with um, our regular foundational bending exercise, um, post and circle, or con our modified confused loping, we took a lot less bend than we generally would with our average training horse. And here's why. So this horse is a master at finding any little escape hatch. So when we take a lot of bend and we have him, say, bent all the way around to our foot in a bending circle, he's like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity to then, you know, throw my entire body through the outside leg or through the opposite way that I'm being guided. Uh, and with, you know, trying to get him to move his shoulders or anything, he would try to find uh, ways to escape it, whether that was throwing his head up and finding a pocket there. So that all to be said, he was a master at finding escape routes. So by corralling him and taking less bend, we're prioritizing him figuring out how to follow his nose and not just escape and blather through it. Luke and I make fun of all the time that the trainers whose, whose line is forward, follow the nose, right? Because in many cases, those horses, they have enough forward motion. They steer just fine. Right, What they need is suppling. They need being broke loose through the body to iron out pockets of resistance and stiffness that are in there. But that isn't completely untrue either. There is something to be said, like the horse still needs to know how to follow their nose. And when you pick up on that inside rein, their entire body doesn't sag and leak away from your intended direction, that they will actually pick up and move with you. And that's exactly what we're trying to create in this horse which is a deviation from, you know, some programs that we've been exposed to where, you know, they would teach that, you know, that first six to eight weeks, it needs to be lateral, lateral, lateral. Don't ever pick up with two reins. And if you would follow that exact program with the horse like this, you know, he already just his natural tendencies was to be a master at finding those escape routes. You would just give him eight weeks of practicing that until you have created massive issues. So in his specific case, it was indeed necessary to put some more barriers up and to corral him more in these modified ways and exercises. A horse like this, if you really intently focused on getting him soft, he would become, he would get to the point where eight weeks later, six weeks later, he's rage noodling around under you, constantly escaping your legs and hands. And that's like a synthetic, not true version of softness. And a lot of people are actually confused by this. They pick up and that horse disappears from their hands, disappears from their legs and moves off their leg. And they take it as, oh, he's soft. No, he's, he's in some cases, those horses are actually running away from pressure. They're escaping your legs. They're escaping your hands. And in this horse's case in particular, it was very important that we got to the root of that issue 
and sprayed Roundup on it very quickly. Because if we took the suppling overboard, not only would it create more fights, but you would have a horse that is virtually uncontrollable. You can't steer them anywhere. You can't get them to move out anymore. They're so wormy under you and so contrary and constantly searching to duck and dive and, and looking for escape routes that they're almost unrideable. So we had to prioritize, again, connect your mouth to your feet, follow your nose, move that shoulder. One of the key issues with this horse that became apparent was that the normal tactics for teaching a horse to yield their shoulders and basically move their forequarters under saddle was not going to work. You know, any something like yield the hindquarters and bring the front end through was not going to work with this horse. He's, he's not only too dull and resentful, but he's very unathletic. And so the, so we've got multiple things combined. You know, it, it's like he's bad-minded enough to resent being put in a bind and being kicked on, especially. And he's also very unathletic, prone to stepping on himself, getting his legs tangled up, not thinking about how to move his feet as he's being turned. And then, you know, his legs are getting twisted into an awkward position that he doesn't like. Like, he, he's not bright enough to think ahead of how to balance himself and he lets himself get tangled up and feel even more uncomfortable. So you're in a situation where I try to take this horse into that kind of a bind where it's a little bit complex, you know, yield the horse's hindquarters, get the hip hips picked up and moved out of the way, then corral that momentum to bring the front end through. That is too complex of an exercise, too complex of an idea for him to understand. And not only that, it encourages the wrong behavior. It encourages that hip to completely leak out and escape and leave, and for him to just set his shoulders against you. So what I had to go back to doing, uh, and I was I was helping you with this, Amy, and we both started doing this on this particular horse, is going back to just yield the forequarters under saddle. This is an exercise that when, I, when it was taught to me uh, a while ago, this is what I call it, okay, is yield the forequarters under saddle. Because we have yield the hindquarters, but we don't talk about yielding the forequarters until we start like at least in in a lot of programs and the ones that we base ours off of um you you don't really address the forequarters very early on until the latter stages of training um but i also got exposed to more performance oriented programs where teaching that horse to follow their nose and move that shoulder over in response to just inside rein pressure not even outside rein pressure but like you pick up the left rein that horse's shoulders move left and vice versa that is a very key component of a lot of two-year-old programs in reining and cow horse uh, related barns. And so I kind of took that idea and used it to create a foundational exercise called yield the forequarters under saddle, where rather than engaging the hindquarters to create momentum or using your hands to manufacture shape and then trying to use your legs to you know bump or kick and move the shoulders on through... You're essentially just walking a, for, a circle forward and around, so you've got a little forward momentum. You pick up on that inside rein, use a little bit of outside leg, whether it's pressing or lightly bumping with rhythm, and you're just kind of waiting, 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 hold it, hold it, hold it, and when you feel that shoulder finally step over, release. Continue walking out, pick up on the inside rein, hold it, hold it, hold it, and no, no outside rein. I'm not really kicking aggressively on the horse. I'm not bumping with my inside rein. I'm just establishing contact and tipping that nose. And I'm just ever so gently asking that horse to connect their mouth to their feet. And I pick up on inside rein, you bring your shoulders, right? And a lot of horses 
do not need that. I'll just go out and say that up front. A lot of horses, that's such a basic exercise, especially a lot of well-bred horses, are talented enough that they often don't need that. But a horse like this, like this training horse we've been talking about, he absolutely needs something like that. Because why? It's low intensity. It's de-escalating a potential fight. But it's also not allowing him to escape without giving us what we want, which is that he actually moves that shoulder over and connects the reins to his feet. So that was a very non-intimidating way of establishing the concept in his mind of, I pick up, you move your feet, and especially you move that shoulder, you move that front end, right? And we could then corral that later into other things, like you talked about earlier, Amy, with the the post and circle, the bend and draw transitions, things like that, where, and, and even the confused loping in the arena where you're picking up and you're waiting for that shoulder to come across in that turn, almost even that he dives in on your circle and then you're, you're releasing to that. So we use those exercises to culture in his mind, the idea that I pick up like that, you bring your shoulder over. And that's how now finally we're able to kind of do a facsimile of like turning on the foot and some other things where we're specifically more and more able to isolate that shoulder. However, our expectations are very low for that. We, we do not want to create a fight by trying to refine something that isn't going to get much better, given not only this horse's temperament, but his lack of athletic ability and his his struggle with just keeping upright and finding his feet underneath of him, it's not an issue that we're going to massively drill and harp on because it will just lead to resentment, right? It's it's like trying to ram a square peg into a round hole or trying to, like, say, push a kid who's uh, really interested in one thing to do something that they hate. It just creates resentment, right? He's not going to be good at it but we can at least get him to submit and understand that th that that kind of pressure when I pick up, whether it's simply inside rein to just tip his nose, or I'm laying outside rein as well to kind of corral and block the outside shoulder and bring the front end through that he indeed needs to bring that front end through. Not actively lean, not look for an escape route. Just when I pick up, you come with me and we'll get along just fine. So with the exercise, yield the four quarters under saddle, it was also a really good um, exercise and kind of a setup to expose him to a little bit more leg pressure. So his go-to tendency with, with a lot of leg pressure, or any leg pressure really, is he would, wherever you're making contact, you know, on his belly with your spurs, he would kind of aggressively twitch his side at your spur. Just like they do, you know, if a fly is on their hindquarters or something and they're trying to like t rapid fire twitch their skin to get it off, that's what he would do to your spur because he was just annoyed, kind of pissed off. He didn't like it. He didn't want to submit to it. So he was just trying to get rid of you. So in this kind of slower, um, not very intense, trying to take the fight out of it type of exercise, when we would tip his nose, we could then use that outside leg rather than rolling or just, you know, pressing. We could kind of bump, 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 bump with rhythm. And we would stay there until he would kind of step his front end over and relax about your leg, you know, to kind of accept it to a degree and not be as pissed off about it. So we would use driving pressure there and bump, 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 bump until he accepted it. Overall, we've got a picture of a horse that is 
a little bit bad-minded in some ways. And while we've been able to employ strategies to improve him in different areas, get him rideable, get him operating quiet and respectful in the way that he needs to for the owner, it's worth mentioning that, yes, you need to be able to problem solve a little bit like this with these types of horses. And a horse like this can be very valuable for you as a horseman because you really have to think. You have to be, to use the old cliche, a thinking horseman in how you approach every interaction with him because he's resentful enough and he's bad-minded enough and he's contrary enough that any interaction with him is like a competition of who's going to come out on top a little bit and not in a combative way. But every interaction with this horse is, is teaching him something. He's highly aware of our vulnerabilities as humans and where he can escape pressure, where he can escape exercises, how he can be contrary in just avoiding us, right? So you have to be highly, highly aware of a horse like this that is going to exploit you at a much higher level than most. And learning how to handle horses like this and problem solve is very valuable, especially in your beginnings as a horseman. Even if you're not a professional, it can be helpful to have some experience on a horse like this. However, you have to at some point be able to get access to better horses because I've met many people that all their lives they've owned horses like the ones that we've been talking about. Uh, well, not, not the sensitive kind, but this kind in particular that is a mix of dull and lazy, but wanting to be squirty and escape pressure and just fundamentally resents anything you're trying to do as the human being on their back, right? If that's all the horse exposure you ever have, it will become a detriment to you in the long run. I've known many trainers and even non-professionals who ride very seriously that it's almost like out of habit, they get a short fuse. They get a much lower tolerance for wanting to be patient, think through situations. The tendency is, and the temptation is to become very ham-fisted and to become very extreme very quickly simply because, you know, you're used to having to ram and jam on bad-minded horses and you just get less and less patient over time. You get more and more resentful. You get less, you, you really, it erodes your feel and timing, right? And it's very easy to fall into that if that's the only exposure you ever, you ever have. So I, I just wanted to make a quick point about that because I got asked by somebody you know, that, that had told me about a lot of their experiences and kind of the problems they were having with their horses. And really what it boiled down to was this person was just resentful about the kind of horses that they were riding every day. And as a horseman, there is something to be said for finding better quality stock to ride and to build your experience with, because thankfully we're in a situation where we've got a balanced enough perspective that a horse like this comes across our radar and we can have a balanced and thoughtful approach in, in solving these issues. But if that's all we were dealing with, like I know some people are out there, it, oh, it would drive me insane. So there's that saying, you're only as good as the stock that you ride. And that's to a large degree true. Now on the other side, and Luke and I have talked about this before, if you only ride the, the best bred horses out there, the most talented, the most eager minded, you get spoiled and you lose or never develop your ability to be a thinking horseman and to problem solve. We see that extreme very often as well. So there has to be a balance. There has to be a balance. Thank you for listening to the Project Horse Podcast. 
If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating to help more horsemen like you find our content. You can also check out the Lundahl Performance Facebook page. There you can message us with any questions or training topics you want covered on the show. You can also learn about our training program, clinics, lessons, and the consulting we do for horse owners across the United States and abroad. Thanks again for listening.